Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Anne Fittisimanu. Anne has been the Chief Executive for Tuputua since 2017, which aims to grow Māori and Pacific leaders for Greater Aotearoa. Anne herself is of Duan, Samoan and European heritage. Prior to leading Tuputua, Anne's career has spanned leadership roles in key sectors, including health, education, local government and not-for-profit, all of which have been committed to equity and growing people. Other people describe Anne as an eternal optimist and say that her passion for creating a more inclusive world is infectious. She's known for her energy, enthusiasm, innovation and entrepreneurship. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about her career journey today. Kia ora Anne and thank you very much for joining me. Oh, kia ora Anna, it's lovely to be with you this morning. Wonderful. Well, the first question I'd love to ask you is if you think back to when you were growing up, what kind of careers did you think about or were you aspiring to? Gosh, if I, to be brutally honest, when I think about my earliest days of imagining what I would be when I grew up, it was actually to be a secretary. And I think, given my age, so you talked about being in from the 40s, I'm, I'm in the 60s, right? When I went to high school, um, I went to an all-girls school. They had several. They had three three options. There was academic A, which was languages. There was a a shorthand typing kind of secretarial pathway, and then there was um, what they called general. And from the little that I knew and what I was exposed to, I looked at women secretaries as being these cool as jobs. They were always very beautiful looking. They looked like they had a lot of power and authority, the way they ran offices. So I I wanted to be a secretary. There, There really wasn't anything else. Mm, how interesting. And it's interesting how our school experiences shape our options or, or our perception of what our opportunities might be, even at a very early age. Absolutely. And it was so funny because I applied, but the headmistress, um, she wouldn't, I wasn't allowed to do the secretarial pathway. I had to do languages. So I suppose that was a positive. They identified that, you know, at that age, I was somebody that had potential. Wonderful. And again, that's nice to hear that somebody also spotting something in you at an early stage. So tell me then about your first job or jobs. What did you learn from some of those? Well, my first jobs, I was a New, I'm a New Zealand-born Pacific woman of mixed race, and I grew up pretty much in poverty in the, in the hearts and what was known back then as the slums of Greylin and Ponsonby. I lived with my grandmother, and so my first job, I was around 11 years of age, and I got a job at the local fish and chip shop my sort of career started back then and the job came out of a desire to want things that I saw other girls had but I didn't and so I quickly figured out that there was either two ways to get them I either had to ask my nana to buy them or I had to figure out a way to buy them myself so I I just figured well if I get a job I'll get paid so yeah my actually my first job was delivering um, papers and then there was the fish and chip shop. 
Nice. It's a good old Kiwi start to life. I think delivering Absolutely. papers and doing a paper in, isn't it? And I think it's also a good illustration almost of that learning at an early age that getting a job, getting work means creating a little bit of financial independence for yourself. Absolutely. And I think it also, for my generation, it sets the work ethic mm. for the rest of your life, which is good and bad because I'm you know, now considered to be a workaholic, but those habits are, are so ingrained that they're quite hard to shake off. And I tell my children, it's not about being a workaholic, it's about working smarter. So don't be like me. <laughs> uh, and I think the idea of being a workaholic, and sometimes I think it comes about if you're really passionate about your work, if you really love what you do, and if you feel like you want to have an impact, that in itself creates, I think, a desire to work long and hard hours too. Absolutely. And then the first few years of your career, tell me a bit about some of the highlights, but also some of the challenges of that. Well, I've, so I've never ever had problems getting work. In fact, most of my jobs have come from referral or me just deciding that I wanted to do something different. Unlike a lot of my peers, I didn't go to university straight from high school and it wasn't because I wasn't eligible. I was, I got, in those days they called it UE accredited, so you didn't have to sit university entrance. But the problem was there wasn't a careers advisory department in the girls' school that I attended. There was nobody in my family that had gone to university. So really there was nobody around me recommending that I go to university. And I kind of thought, well, I didn't need to go to university to get a job because I'd already had a job. The challenges were, I've always thought I wasn't good enough for the job. So there was always this fear of, can I do this job and do it well? The highlights were really, once I got in there, I very quickly adapted to most of the ask and was able to perform at a reasonably high level. So I've had, you know, lots of success. Therefore, I've had lots of job changes, but they're changes because I've wanted them as opposed to being fired or being told to move on every job that I've gotten because I've wanted to do that job. Mm, and that's a nice, I think, a nice description of almost being in control of your career and, yep. as you said, making those choices. That's not to say sometimes things happen out of our control, we get made redundant or our business goes under or whatever that might be, but it's nice in your case that you were able to have a, that sense of choice and, and control. And yeah. You've worked yeah. across, if I understood correctly, you've worked across healthcare, across education, across local government, across the not-for-profit sector. I'd love to hear a bit more about your career path and uh, along that way. Well, definitely wasn't linear and I definitely didn't, I wasn't the sort of person that sat down and had a plan. At the age of around 30, I returned from overseas. It was the end of my first marriage and I came back to New Zealand with four children under six. I decided then that if I was to break some moulds in my family, um, be able to give my children the opportunities that weren't afforded to me, that I actually needed to have a job and a career. So I took myself back to university then at the age of, of 31 and started to map out what I would do. So that was the beginning of really you know, sitting down and thinking, where could I possibly go as opposed to I just need a job? And that feels like a really brave move. I have three children, but to have four children under six and then to make that commitment to, to go back to study on top of that. How was that time? Oh, it was really hard. I'd come back into New Zealand in 1991. There was um, something called the DPB. I'd never heard of it. There was also the training incentive allowance. So I took myself off to social welfare, got on the DPB, plugged into training incentive allowance and took myself 
off to university. I did, I think I started, I came back to New Zealand in March, enrolled and did two papers part-time in the evening, second semester. And with getting, I think I got two A's, I thought, well, I've got this. I enrolled full-time for the next year. It was challenging, but it was really rewarding because I'd chosen to study accounting of all things, but I'd come from a background of dabbling in a bit of business overseas. I'd had my own cafe, ice cream parlour. So I understood business from a hands-on perspective and coming into the classroom, I was able to put terms to everything that I'd been doing. So I really thrived in the classroom. But, you know, being on the DPB was challenging because there was a social, there was a stigma that was attached to being on a benefit in those days, which I believe still exists today. I think you're probably right. And you said as part of that, that you mapped out or you started to have a bit more of a plan for your career. What was that plan? I think it was, I started to allow myself the idea of dreaming um, and dreaming to be whatever it is that I wanted to be. And so, yeah, I dreamt of, you know, owning my own business, going to the top of whatever I chose to work in, whatever field. So being a manager or being higher than a manager, I made a conscious decision that I would own my own home within a certain period of time and that I would travel, that I would do all the things that I that I think a lot of my peers or my community don't dream or don't allow themselves to dream about. Mm. And I also was really big on looking for opportunities to support my career. So when I came off the DPB, because I I met my um, now husband, I made sure that wherever I went to work, they would support my tertiary. So I continued to study for 15 years, which took me through to master's. But I came out of that without any kind of student loan. So I was really creative in making sure that wherever I worked, they were on board and supported my study career, which of course aligned to the job that I was doing. And I'm sure that probably had a a huge benefit for your employer as well to have you developing yourself at the same time. And as you said, bringing that back onto the job. And what was the path then following on from doing that degree and then now into becoming the chief executive of Tuputua? Well, again, I didn't quite map it out. I started work in local government, which was great. And that kind of gave me my first entry into a role that supported the Pacific community. And from there, through an introduction from a friend, there was an opportunity to then move into the tertiary sector, which I welcomed because I was studying at that university. So it made good sense that if I worked in the university, that being able to just take myself off to class after work or in the evening would be attractive as well as the holidays at the university if you could get into the teaching faculty were really attractive and I'd gone on and had at that stage an extra three children so that meant seven so being able to have some time off over Christmas and into semester break was really attractive. My next career move really came out of meeting somebody who really took me I ran into this person, she's now a CEO of a major DHB, one of the largest in the country, and it was her style, her leadership style really caught my eye and a teacher, and I thought, wow, wouldn't mind working for somebody like her, and it turned out within the next six months I, I was working for her. And so that kind of took me off in another direction. I then continued to look for opportunities to to feed into my development as an individual, whether it be through training and, and development kind of programs, opportunities through work, or later on I did the Global Women Breakthrough Leaders Program, which for me was really key 
in opening doors as well as helping me deal with some of my own personal stuff or stuff that I think held me back. And then from there, it was just things would come my way. And so what I've always done is when I get shoulder tapped or when I get asked or an, uh, to look at an opportunity, I, I'd never say no. I always have a look because you just never know where it's going to take you. You do never know where it's going to take you. You're quite yeah. right. And sometimes if it doesn't align or with your current area of study or expertise, I think sometimes people tend to push it aside. Mm or overlook. And I just think you need to take time and explore. Because mm. I think as you talked about, your career wasn't linear, but most careers aren't linear, in fact. And there's often twists and turns. And sometimes Absolutely. we think we're on one path and then we take another one and then something else emerges. As you say, you never know quite quite what's going to happen. And you mentioned as part of that Global Women program that you identified there was some perhaps some personal stuff getting in the way. You know, I know for most people, me included, I've definitely got a bit of personal stuff that gets in my way sometimes. I wonder if you'd be happy to share what some of that might be and, and or might have been and, and how working through that has helped you. Yeah, so one of the things that became really clear to me is when I did that program, I had to face some demons. And when I asked myself the question about what really was holding me back from perhaps being anything, it was actually my, my, my family. It was actually my parents were never married and I was born out of wedlock. And without, uh, I, I suppose I kind of always knew, but but pushed it aside. But it really, it was the thing that was like the elephant in the room. So I was always that child, I think, that was searching for parental approval. But in, in the context of if I had a normal family, that would be easy. But because I, I didn't come from your parents married, that kind of a background, it was always missing. And so I was forever searching. And I, I had to come to the realisation that it wasn't going to come in the form that I was looking for. And I had to then explore, well, okay, if, if I'm not getting it there, am I getting it at all? And I realised that actually uh, my, my life was full of people who did give me support and give me approval. And, and it was like once I got over that, things changed. So yeah, it, it's interesting what drives us and what also holds us back. And sometimes mm. the two are the same. So mm. on one hand, it's what held me back. But on the other hand, I actually think searching for approval that I could never get, it was actually quite key in giving me the drive that I've had to work as hard as I have for the time that I've worked. And thank you for sharing that because I think you're right. It's such a great point that sometimes the things that may hold us back may also be the things that drive us. Absolutely, absolutely. Somewhere along there, actually, if you can unhook me maybe a little bit from some yeah. of that or drop some of the baggage, then it might give you some freedom to even as you talked about to dream, explore a bit more. And I have a saying that, that I share sometimes in this, that if we can stop and take a, a dive into our deepest pain, it's where you find the pearls, but it's hard work. But the pearls are there, mm. but it just, it just, it takes a whole lot of things to be able to take that dive. Mm, that's a great saying. And you, back in 2017, became the chief executive of Tuputoa. What do you What do you love about your current work? Oh my gosh, what do I love? There's nothing that I don't love. I love the fact that it pulls on all of my learnings and development to date. It allows me to do what I do best, which is influence, pull together, hunt, prospect, get people on board to, with, a, with a common purpose. Um, and I love the impact 
that I see Tipultura is having so many levels, you know, with, whether it's with the young people that we engage with, the partners that support our movement, with the community that are supportive, that are attached to the young people that we serve, to the global audience that we are now attracting. I just think it's just, it just is such the right thing to do for so many reasons. And I've never worked as hard, but I love it. And to be fair, my family would say I do it 24-7. <laughs> I can hear, it was almost that, that almost a change in your voice there as you started talking about it, where that absolute passion came through. Yeah, and I think there's, it's one thing to have passion, and I'd, I'd say that pretty much 95% of my team are all passionate about what we do, but I think there's a level of conviction that I have around this work that is, it's there. And I think that's really key to me being able to drive as hard as I have. It's been very useful because as a startup, a social enterprise that's only, what, five years of age, it's needed somebody to just um, jump in and go hard to get us off the ground. And I hope that when my time comes to move on, that I've embedded enough stuff there to ensure that Tupatua has a great future, because I, I do believe it has. And if I look at organisations that are of similar nature overseas, Inroads in America has celebrated 50 years of, of its programme. And I just think, yeah, I, I can see Tupatua as the sort of programme that should be around in 50 years' time. I certainly hope so. And I, I really like the distinction that you made there between passion and conviction. And in some ways, because passion can be a little bit more fleeting, but conviction, it sees you stick with it even when it does get tough and hard, which, as you said, it probably has been a lot of work, very hard work over the last five years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as we talked about, you know, no career is easy or, or straightforward. As you look back at your career, what have been some of your toughest career challenges or toughest moments? I think dealing with things like your, the imposter um, syndrome that we all have, moments where I've always been part of teams. And I think for me, one of the hardest things is having to deal with managers who hold you back. So deciding when is when it's time to move on because, you know, where you, where you are right now, you're not going to get the support from your manager to move on. So you need to move outside. I think that that's hard. Managing people is, is always, I think that's the hardest part of being a leader, but it's like anything in leadership. It's a muscle that you just, you need to develop and you get better at it hopefully with time. But I think it's also about the heart that you bring to your work which gets you through. But yeah, I think the most challenging thing has been, yeah, sometimes when I've had to learn to speak up to people that, you know, I perceive as being in much higher positions than myself. And how have you said either developed that muscle or developed that courage to speak up? Well, I think there's several ways to develop those muscles. I certainly know now that having a coach um, is really key and it's something that we promote at Triple Tour and we've, we will introduce into the alumni program. And I think, gosh, if I could have had a coach alongside me in my earlier days, where would I be now? So I think having a coach is a great start. If you can't afford a coach, then having people, solid friends around you that will give you good advice, that will be brutally honest with you when they need to. Reading, taking up opportunities to step outside your comfort zone, to meet other people, to hear other perspectives, not necessarily ones that you'll always agree with, but 
just to continually feed your basket of knowledge, to just broaden your ability to view the world and and life differently. You don't necessarily Mm. have to agree with everybody, but I just think being able to hear and to listen and to appreciate difference is important. I think it is a very important skill, as you said, not necessarily needing to agree, but to appreciate difference, definitely. And you talked about being a workaholic uh, and particularly working harder now than maybe you ever have in your your life before. How do you find balance between your working life and your broader life? So one of the things that I love to do is travel. I love to travel overseas. I'm I'm a real, I'm a cruise bus. So I have a group of friends that I travel with normally every two years we go overseas. So I find um, if I can get away overseas, it, it takes me away from my work, it takes me away from my home, and it gives me this permission to just blob and just enjoy. So traveling for me is a definite escape. I've always been quite active. So I walk this morning, I was out for an early morning walk do a bit of Pilates when I can, water aerobics. So basically try and keep active. It really brings balance back into my life. Doing stuff with family. I have a number of grandchildren and and another one on the way. So I find whenever I can just spend quality time with them, it's great because it reminds you about what's important. Cooking, I love to cook, but then it means I love to eat, which is if you do too much of that, it's not the best. (laughs) Maybe it's okay if you're balancing it out with the walking and the water aerobics and the Pilates as well. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and that's nice to hear from me. You talked about actually obviously work being a big part of your life, but actually it was lovely for me to hear about all those other elements of your life too, which give you energy and recharge you and, as you said, give you perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the title for this podcast is The Female Career. I was wondering, have there any been in, any particular challenges or obstacles as a woman that you might have faced in, in your career? Not really, because I always see the glass, well, I always see the glass half full as opposed to half empty. And having come from a broken family, having been married twice, I think women can do anything. But, you know, we can, and we can do, and it's great if we have somebody fantastic beside us to help us, but I do believe that we can do anything we want to do. The key is having a balance and and being okay with the decision that you make. And if your decision, if what gives you the most pleasure in life is actually pursuing a professional career, as opposed to pursuing a professional career alongside family, alongside other things, that's okay. So be okay with the decisions that you make for you, because at the end of the day, if you're happy, then everything around you will be happier. So I think sometimes as women, we expect to do it all, have a career, be a mum, be a wife, be a partner, whatever. And sometimes it's okay if you just want to pick one of those, one of those dimensions and just do that. I think you're absolutely right. There is a lot of pressure now on a lot of women that I work with, actually, as you said, to try and do it all and do it really well as well. But that recognising that might be for some, but actually just, you said, maybe sometimes just choosing a path is, is absolutely okay too. Yeah. And if you do doing it, if you are doing it all, you actually need help. Mm. And I really admire women that do it all and then acknowledge the help that they do get, whether it's from a great partner or they buy in some home help. It's Something's got to give. 
Yeah, absolutely it does. I couldn't work without the support around with three young kids and mm. I'm incredibly lucky to have my parents, my husband's parents that, that are able to help us and as you said, you know, I know, and getting a little bit of paid help as well, which I've considered ultimately an investment in our careers and have a wonderful husband as well. He's great. Yeah, and, 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 and me too. I've had, I have an amazing husband who has supported me for 30 odd years and who absolutely believes whatever I put my mind to I can do he'd probably argue that I should have listened to him earlier and but <laughs> I could not be where I am today without his support wonderful wonderful and then we talked about Anne about some of the, the toughest things or the toughest moments what have been some of your proudest career moments proudest career moment. So I remember doing my walk when I got my master's. I had my children attend that ceremony and it was that was I was extremely proud and felt really good about enabling them to see this as something that they could do. So I'm extremely proud of the fact that, you know, I am first of my family to go to university to obtain a degree. I've had a solid career. Now I'm a CEO. I say to my kids, it's not for you to do what I'm doing, but at least that you can. And I'd love for some of you to to push the boundaries even more. So I say to the grandkids, if Nana can get to master's, then one of you can get to PhD level. Um, not sure which one. But yeah, I think just being able to do a lot of firsts for myself and for my family has been extremely rewarding. And then bring being able to bring some of that um, knowledge back to friends, to family, and now to young people that I serve through Tupatoa, to be able to share my story, my journey, to help others. And that is a wonderful story, as you said, for your family, but also now in your work that you're able to share in a way that inspires others. And that inspires being the pioneer and being some of those firsts, actually, that, that it can pave the way for others as well. And you talked about it's still fairly early days for Tupotoa. Where might you see your career heading in the future? First of all, I think I'd like to be the sort of leader that knows when it's time to leave and to move on. Um, that's something that I'm really conscious of. I don't think I'm done yet in terms of my children ask me this all the time. When are you retiring? And I go, not quite yet. So I'd like to pathway and to work towards sitting on more boards and gaining some directorships. So being able to, I think, advise and influence the direction that some of our major government agencies take in the future, or you never know, there may be something out there that is complementary to what I'm doing now that would be the next kind of few years of career for me. So I'm not quite done yet, but I'm, I'm not, I, I haven't really thought about what that looks like and knowing me, it'll come at me mm-hmm. and I'll stop and think about it and go, yeah, yeah, it's probably the right time. I do trust in the universe and I think mentally when you in your head say, wow, I wonder what's out there. It's almost like you give the world permission to start to send you things. I agree. And I think as you said, actually when the universe might be sending you things, being open to what those opportunities might be and getting them out and having a look and being a bit curious and seeing if that is the path or if it might be something else. It's lovely to hear that you've even got that, still that openness now, which is fantastic. I'd have one last question for you and I would love to hear what career advice you would have for other women. Oh, okay. What would I? Look, I tell women all the time, please dream. Dream big. 
try as many things as you can, feel good and comfortable about failing. Always evaluate what you've done. Try and find the pearls. Try and find the learnings, the richness in any type of failure or not so great experience. Talk to as many people as you can. Build your networks. Get a coach. Um, be open to what the universe might send you. Um, be okay with, you know, getting uncomfortable, lean in and stretch, um, you know, whenever you can. Just don't be content to sit back. Um, Yeah, and yeah, that would be my advice to women. That's wonderful advice and such a wealth of different things. But, you know, all those wonderful messages around actually dreaming big to stretch yourself, don't be, get uncomfortable. Um, Wonderful, wonderful messages there. And it has been such a pleasure to speak to you today. And thank you so much for sharing some of your career journey with, with me. I've really appreciated it and really enjoyed hearing it. Thanks, Anna. It's been lovely being able to share. And look, I just wish everybody that listens to the podcast all the best. And if there's anybody that, you know, wanted to ask me anything personally, I'm not hard to get hold of. (laughs) So, yeah, open to that. Lovely. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Mm